You know, I don't know if this um, ever happens to you, but uh, you know, there's sometimes at night when I, when I will wake up because man, I get like a, a muscle cramp in, uh, in the bottom of my foot. Some people might get them in their leg and their, you know, or, or whatever. What, what are these things called? I mean, they hurt like a dickens. I mean, what, what are these things called? Um, a, a Charlie horse. Yeah, that's right, a Charlie horse. And, and these things, man, they, they hurt like crazy, don't they? Well, Moses, when he came down off the mountain, he came down off the mountain, he discovered that he had a Charlie horse because he had a pain in the calf. That's right. We need a rim shot. Uh, over. Yeah, he came down off the mountain to discover this calf that was causing him and God great pain and was about to cause the people of Israel great pain. And the story that led up to that uh, goes something like this where in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, it says this, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. The people were anxious. They were impatient. Moses had gone up on the mountain where he's receiving the Ten Commandments, even as they speak. Now, they don't know that. The people don't know that. All they know is that Moses, this one uh, who had been their only go-between between them and God, the one who had led them into the wilderness, the one who was leading them to the promised land, was gone, and they feared that he was dead. So what to do now? He was the only one who had, had led them, and they're fearing now that they're not going to be able to make it to the promised land. So they go to Aaron, and they say to Aaron, Aaron, you be the go-between. You be the one that connects us to God. And they said to him, Aaron, make us gods. Make us gods who will go before us. So Aaron made them the golden calf. Now, the irony of this story is, is really hard to miss because here we have uh, Moses up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, and as he is receiving them, the people are down in the valley breaking them. So we've got, you know, like you remember that the movie with uh, Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments, and there's that scene where he's up on the mountain with God receiving the Ten Commandments, and it's this flame of fire that goes, and it just stamps this commandment in the stone. And uh, before that commandment uh, is cooled and the smoke stops from it, you know, the people down in the valley are, are breaking whatever that commandment might be as quickly as it is given. And this, these commandments are a good gift from God. I mean, if God didn't care for the people, if God didn't care for us, He wouldn't give us commandments at all. But the commandments are given to us in two tables. The first one gives us the guidelines on how we might relate to God. The second table gives, gives us on how, how we might relate to other people. And it's the commandments in the first table that they are immediately breaking. The first commandment says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And yet there they were, making the golden calf. And when the golden calf was made in Exodus chapter 32, verse 8, it says this, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So it's taking the very wording that God is giving in the first commandment and twisting it to apply now to this situation with the golden calf. Where's the justice? 
What were they thinking? God has done all of this for the people of Israel to bring them miraculously out of Egypt, to bring them through the parted Red Sea, to provide for them the manna, the water from the rock, to defeat the Amalekites, to do all of these things. And now the golden calf gets the credit, the God who brought you out of Egypt. Seems to be an open and shut case of other gods coming before the Lord, a breaking of the first commandment, but not so fast because there's more here than that. There is more here than that. When we read Scripture, it's important to not just simply rush through it, but instead to ask questions. And in this particular case, an obvious question would be, why a calf? You know, why not a chicken? Why not an aardvark? You know, why a calf? Well, if we look at the other cultures in the ancient Near East, what we can see is that um, when it comes to uh, idol worship, there's a couple of things that are, that are kind of interesting here. One of the things is that oftentimes when these people would carve an idol or craft an idol, that uh, they didn't really think that the idol itself was God or their gods. But they thought it was a representation oftentimes, not always, but, but oftentimes of the gods that they were worshiping. And when they would set up a calf, oftentimes what it was for was that they believed that if they set up this calf, that their gods or their god would come and sit on it. Now, why sit on a calf? I don't know. You know why, why not give the god a horse or a chariot or something? They, but it would be a calf. That's what they would do. You know, because I, I think that with the calf, it represented, even as it does today, you know, strong like bull. Um, you know, that that with this calf, that there's strength to it. And they want to believe that, that these gods have come to dwell among them, to be with them, to be close, so they would build this calf. So when they're building this calf, really what they're doing is they're saying, we want these gods or this god, whatever it is, and we'll explore that in a minute, uh, to come and be here with us. Okay? It's kind of functioning along the same lines of what the Ark of the Covenant was functioning as for the Israelites prior to this point or even after this point. And with the Ark of the Covenant, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know at least kind of a twisted version of the Ark of the, uh, you know, that, that we're talking about here, the Ark of the Covenant. Because what the Ark was was this box that had these poles in it so that it be, could be carried around with the Israelites as they moved from place to place. It could be carried with the Israelites as they went into battle because it was a symbol of God's presence among them. And it was kind of thought as though with the Ark that this was the place where the Lord would come to sit so that he might be seen to be among them, to be dwelling among them. But now Moses, the one through whom the ark would be given, is gone. So Aaron, build us something so that we might connect with God. Deal with our anxieties, Aaron. Deal with our, our impatience. Deal with our lack of peace, Aaron. Give us peace by giving us gods who will go before us. Now, as we look at this passage, what we can see is some confusing kinds of things, such as after the uh, calf is unveiled, Aaron says these words in Exodus 32, verse 5, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord, he says. Okay, remember, they just built the calf, and they're proclaiming it, you know, to be their gods. But he says tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. 
So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The Israelites had some unfinished business. If you recall, the very first thing that they were supposed to be doing and, and the stated purpose for them leaving Egypt was to go out into the wilderness where they might uh, celebrate a festival to the Lord. And uh, that hasn't been done yet. So now they're going to celebrate this festival to the Lord after the golden calf appears. But the festival to the Lord was supposed to be the Passover, which would celebrate God's miraculous deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But this is nothing like the Passover. Instead, it's more like the pagan fertility cults that they would celebrate in the ancient Near East. So we, here we've got all these kinds of symbols, and it seems to be this combination, this weird mixture of uh, these pagan religions around them combined with this worship of the Lord so that um, they might be, uh, the, the people might have their desires satisfied with this different way to God, this alternate path to God. And God was not pleased with this. Now, when we look at this, another confusing thing is, is the uh, confusing language that's used where it sometimes it refers to give us gods, these are your gods, and then there's one calf. Okay, not multiple calves, one golden calf, even though it's call, talking about it in the plural. Uh, why would that be? Well, because what they're using is this word for God that is both plural and singular. It's Elohim. In its purest form, it's plural. But it also can be used to refer to the Lord, singular. Okay? So, really what it seems to be here is that um, Aaron is crafting this golden calf as a new alternate religion, a new alternate way to God, to the Lord. And therefore, it's not just the first commandment that's being broken here. It's the second commandment that's being broken here. With the second commandment, the second commandment is, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? And most of the time, we think about that as referring to using God's name as a curse word, which we know isn't good, okay? But there's more to it than that. What it is, is that when we do things in God's name, and God really has nothing to do with it, okay, that's using His name in vain. And that's what the people are doing. They, they are crafting this new religion, this new alternate way to God, and they're doing it in God's name, therefore taking His name in vain. We've lost a lot of the sense these days of the importance of name, but, but we can kind of get the sense in this way that, that um, you know, a name, a reputation is something to be guarded, right? That, you know, if a name uh, is associated with, if your name is associated with something good, that's, that's a good thing. If your name is associated with something bad, that's a bad thing. And it's difficult to get your reputation back. Well, the same with God. You know, when we're talking about God's name, we're talking about His reputation, His character, everything that's wrapped up in that. And here the Israelites are. They're doing this in the name of God to come up with this alternate path to God, and it, that's breaking the second commandment. And Moses let alone God, was not happy with the situation. So when he came down into the camp, he took the stone tablets. He finally appeared. They said, whoa, where have you been? And he takes the, takes the stone tablets, throws them at the people, and they shatter among them, literally breaking the Ten Commandments, which they had broken just before that. And now he confronts Aaron. And when he confronts Aaron, he says something like this to him. Aaron... How could you? What were you thinking? And Aaron replies in Exodus 32, 
You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. So far, so good. He's given us an accurate report. Then, then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. You know, funniest line of Scripture. You know, Scripture actually does have several funny lines, but I think this one is the funniest. I mean, it's like, hey, uh, Moses, I don't know what happened. I mean, this fire must be defective. You've got to have this thing looked at, Moses, you know, because, man, out popped this calf. I have no idea what's going on here, Moses, you know, and Moses didn't even justify him with a response because he knew that Aaron was responsible. Aaron knew that he was responsible, you know, but he wasn't taking responsibility. Now, what does all this mean for us? These days, one of the most strongly defended rights in our culture, in our American culture, uh, here in uh, 2014, one of our most strongly defended rights is the right for every man, woman, and child to have their own opinion about God and the things of heaven. And at first, this sounds pretty good, you know, to have your own opinion about that. But uh, what it means is that God becomes moldable and the things of heaven become moldable by human opinion, which means that God ceases to be the real God. Instead, God becomes that which is moldable, that, that which is changeable, that which is shapeable, that which is make-believe because He's moldable and shapeable by human opinion. But this is the most staunchly defended right, I mean, where, where somebody cannot be told what God is like because it is up to them to say what God is like. Human opinion to shape God. It makes the Creator the one who is created by the creation Put it another way, you know, if we were to apply, you know, uh, where opinion shapes reality, we can do something like this. Let's say that I have the opinion that I have a brand new 2014 banana yellow Corvette convertible sitting out in the parking lot. That's my opinion. You, uh, that's my right. You have no right to challenge that opinion because that's Okay, and following our service today, when I go to uh, try to get over to the park for the, for the 11 o'clock service, I go out to the uh, parking lot looking for my 2014 banana yellow Corvette convertible. I can't find it anywhere. Wait a minute, that can't be. I mean, I've got this opinion that I have this car. So I take out my key fob, and I begin to press the panic button to try to find my car. You ever lose your car out in the parking lot and you try to find it with that thing? You know, so I, I'm pressing the panic button to try to find my car. I mean, these cars, you know, they're dispersing and it's still nowhere. And all I get is, you know, this red Explorer with the lights and the horn going off. I can't find it anywhere. You know, finally, I come to my senses and I realize, wait a minute, just because I've got an opinion that this thing exists doesn't mean that it does. Okay? Just because I've got an opinion that that's what it looks like, that this is the shape of it, that this is the way that it is, that it's a convertible, not a, you know, that doesn't mean that that's the way it is, right? So then I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, maybe the reason why, you know, and you're out there saying, 
Pastor Dave, you've lost your ever-living mind. Um, this is proof. But I come to my sense and realize, hey, wait a minute. Maybe the reason why that Red Explorer is going off is because, when I press this button, is because that really is my vehicle. And then I get in the Red Explorer, and, and I realize, okay, I've just awakened from this terrible dream, actually, you know, where, where I, I thought that I had one thing, and, and, and really I've got another. And those of you who work at Ford, I want to tell you, I love my red explorer, okay? <laughs> and I love it for multiple reasons, but one of those reasons is this, that the banana yellow convertible is not going to lead me anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's completely powerless to do anything. I can't even sit in it, okay? But my red explorer, it will take me home. The same with God that this God that is shaped by human opinion can do nothing. It has no power. It has no ability to do anything because it's make-believe. But the real God is the one who's going to take you home. Okay? Yet the people said to Aaron, Come, make us gods who will go before us. Now, I've spoken a little bit before about, uh, uh, you know, Linda and my wife Linda and her uh, three brothers and how um, she is the only sibling remaining in her family. Uh, she lost all three of her brothers. And all of them died. The older two uh, died of heart attacks. And uh, devout Christians, wonderful men, um, while they died prematurely, still they're their funeral the funerals really were celebrations because we could claim, you know, rightly claim God's promises. And everybody knew. I mean, you know, these guys were out serving the Lord, and, you know, it was, it was common knowledge what, where they stood. Her younger brother, though, uh, was a different story. Her younger brother, Jeff, was uh, a guy who died differently than the other two. And uh, he was a guy that everybody knew rejected the Lord, pushed God away. As a matter of fact, um, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was a guy that uh, was a drug addict, uh, alcoholic. He stole from his family regularly. When his parents left town, they would worry that Jeff would break into their house, you know, things like this. When, toward the end of his life, Jeff uh, would be in and, out of, was in, and out, in and out of the hospital, and um, his body really couldn't take much more abuse than what he'd already given to it. And when he was going into the hospital, it was never clear whether he'd be coming out alive or not. So the last time that he was in the hospital, his dad, Lee, my father-in-law, went to visit him in the hospital and uh, tried to share Jesus with him, tried to tell him about Jesus. And Jeff's reply was, I don't want to hear that. I don't want any of that. He said to him, why can't you just be a dad to me? Which, of course, the greatest thing that Lee could do as a dad to him would be to share Jesus with him. So he pushed, pushed God away. Not long after that, Jeff was released from the hospital, but Jeff died of a drug overdose alone in his car in a Walmart parking lot. We had the funeral, and at the funeral, um, we had a number of people who really were from Linda's parents and uh, uh, Linda's circle that were strong Christians, strong believers, and everybody knew that. 
And these were people who were well-intentioned, well-meaning, and they wanted to provide comfort to the family. So they, they came to Linda, you know, the surviving uh, sibling, and, and said to her, Linda, your brother Jeff is with the Lord now. He's in heaven. And Linda said to them, how can you say that? I mean, how can you say that? Everybody knows that Jeff pushed God away. Everybody knows that Jeff didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. So how can you say that? But, you know, they were insistent upon it because they, they wanted to provide comfort, and they thought that maybe if they assured her that her brother was with the Lord, that that would be comfort. And, and it got to the point where this one guy was chasing Linda down the hallway to argue with her, the very one that he was trying to provide comfort to, to, to say, no, Jeff is with the Lord right now. What these people didn't realize is that they were behaving as an errand in doing that, where they were encouraging an alternate path to the Lord. This path that says, as, along with our modern culture, that if you say it, it is so. That if you have an opinion about it, therefore all heaven is shaped, God is shaped, everything. And, and what, they don't, what they didn't realize was that in saying that, in doing that, these devout believers in Jesus were saying that there's an alternate path to the Father that is not through Jesus. They were being an errand. Well-meaning, good-intentioned believers. You know, we can find ourselves in situations with family or, you know, in a situation like that or, or whatever else it might be where we opt for peace. We opt for the path of least resistance instead of standing for the truth. And really, a lie in the end is not comfort. What it is is behaving like the Old Testament false prophets, where in the Old Testament what we can see is that the false prophets were the ones who would tell people what they thought that their itching ears wanted to hear. And what it did in the end was that these people would believe that lie and not turn to the Lord. So we wind up with a world out there that is affirmed in their alternate path, as, Moses, or as Aaron did, rather, with the people. And they wind up going down the wrong road. So what do we do with this? How do we respond? Well, Jesus, in our gospel lesson for today, is facing the same kind of temptation. He's facing the temptation to have an alternate path. And his response is this. It's based on two things. It's based on worship of the Lord alone. And it's based on God's Word which means that when we come to worship the Lord alone and lift Him up alone, and when we rely on God's Word, then we will not take nor promote an alternate path. And for us, in practical terms, what it means is that maybe this is the year, you know, if you've gotten away from a Bible study, you're going to a Bible study, you've never been to one, maybe this is the year to plug into one so that you can learn more about this real God. You can plug into that word. This is the year maybe, you know, maybe in past years, uh, you know, worshiping God has been something that's been sporadic. Maybe this is the year when coming to God and worshiping Him and bowing before Him is something that just becomes a way of life. You know, and then through all of that, what we can find ourselves doing is getting real with God, getting real with Him, and serving only Him. Amen.